do have a ministry called The Altar, where we are just, uh, we have five of them this coming week, where we just meet with Jesus, we open the Bible, we pray it, we sing it, we declare it, and so you're all always welcome. It's all over our website, you can find everything, um, and it's on all, all of our emails and social medias. You can't miss it. If you miss it, talk to me, and I'll show it to you again. Um, and so join us for some of those. The very first one is tomorrow at 7 a.m. And there's no better way to start your week if you want to come tomorrow at 7 a.m. It's in this room. We just press into Jesus and we just uh, cry out for the church that's going to be scattered throughout the week that has an opportunity to live for God in their workplace, in their world, their neighborhood, et cetera, and their family and friendships. And so God, I just pray right now that you'd encourage our church, that you'd encourage our family. God, I thank you for those that are here, those joining us online, Lord, those that are doing whatever, traveling, those who are getting over sickness, um, working. I know we have some that are working. I just got a text and just bless those who are um, doing all they can to keep their eyes and their heart locked into you, Jesus. We love you. We love your, your church. God, we lift up the church of the Central Coast. Uh, I was praying and thinking about my brothers and sisters this morning on my my prayer run, just thinking about when, when the water comes in, all of the boats rise, and we, we want the water, we want the refreshment of the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the Central Coast. And as a result, all the boats, all the churches, all the fellowships that love and lift up Jesus would be strengthened, would multiply, would be uh, blessed, that their reach would increase, that they'd be effective in reaching people with the gospel. God, I just we bless your people. We bless your church. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all said, amen. Amen. Well, today I'm really, really excited to um, continue the conversation. Last week we were um, talking about becoming a dwelling for Jesus. Really, really encourage you. Please go back and listen to it or watch it online. Uh, there was a lot of heat. It was just, and it wasn't hype. The Lord just came in a real special way. Um, I literally felt it just the whole time as I was sharing, just a real authority I think God's going to give us grace to, um, to build and to become a dwelling place for his spirit. And so just to give us a, a real brief encouragement, uh, you can tell the story of the Bible various ways, the story of covenants, the story of um, God's promises and purposes. But one of my favorite, uh, the story of redemption, rescuing, you know, from sin, Exodus, Jesus, etc. One of my favorite ways is, though, is to trace the thread that I believe is one of the best ways to tell the Bible that from the beginning to the end, the story of the Bible is God in one long, windy way telling humans, I want to dwell with you. That's like my favorite way to tell the story. So these next few screens, you can, I have all the notes, by the way. Boom, they're right there. It's the very first link on that QR code. So you can cheat and get ahead, see how long the sermon is going to be, and breathe. And, and, uh, and so... Yeah, so one more, one more second, because I do want you to have the notes so you can actually study and see what I'm saying, if, it, if it's actually true, because everything I say is scrutinizable, and it's measured against the Word of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Uh, he is our authority, Jesus and His Word. And so, uh, so, so look, just real quick, I'm not going to labor on this. This is all intro, and I kept coaching myself on my walk yesterday and on my run this morning in prep. The intro has to be the intro. Let it be short. So, in the garden, God's walking in the cool of the day. I'm with you. Uh, when, 
when they sinned and then God told Moses to build the tabernacles because they were to set up camp right in the middle of Israel was the tabernacle. It was God saying, I want to be, say, with you. I want to be. Okay, then David breaks all the rules and like, like Moses' tent's still working and David builds his own little tent right next to his palace where there's no veil of separation, all signifying that God wanted to be. Come on, you got this now. Then you have the temple. Solomon builds it. David was in David's heart. Solomon builds it because God wanted to be. Oh, man, you're getting it. And then Jesus is called the word made flesh in the Greek. It's literally he, he, he became a tabernacle among us because God wanted to be. Literally this morning, it's not on the notes. I'm like, it was in his name, Emmanuel. God with us. Okay, so we're kind of getting it. This is a way to tell the whole story of the Bible. God wants to be with us. Okay, and then Jesus says, or John, all the gospel says, that guy who is the mobile tabernacle, Jesus, the Messiah, he's going to baptize all of his followers in the spirit. It's amazing, right? He said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to ask the father and he's going to give you another advocate to be with you. He won't just be with you. He'll be in you. And so we see Jesus after his resurrection, they, he breathed on them and he said, peace be with you. So they got the breath of God, but on Pentecost, they got the baptism of fire. Come on, somebody. I want the breath and the baptism. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want the breath and the baptism. Come on, guys. We're a little bit dull, a little lulling this morning. Let's wake up. I don't know what y'all did last night or this week, but here we are in the house of God. So you did something right. And so he breathed on them. It was a little kind of foretaste in John 20. And and then 50 days later on Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, they weren't just, there wasn't a little breath imparted. There was a baptism of fire. And God changed their hearts and he filled them with his animating, empowering spirit. God's glory, presence, and power were now imparted to humanity. And God's Holy Spirit, say it with me, went mobile and global through his people. So last week, the passage we looked at was Ephesians. uh, This was really the passage that really sprung our whole conversation. Um, In the hymn, the whole, let's read it together so we're tracking. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the reality is this week, you and I, we were out doing our thing at work and in, our, in, in, in the world with our families, with our friendships. And, and like Peter calls us living stones and the stones were sort of scattered. Yes, we can build a dwelling place for God in our homes and in our hearts. But uniquely, when God gathered us this morning, we, yes, we became a dwelling for God's Holy Spirit. We didn't just come and hang out, you know, you know, how's the game later today? Go Chiefs. But we, like, theologically and practically speaking, we, there's an opportunity. Again, it's available, but it's not inevitable. Because you and I could withhold something. You and I could not bring our praise, could not bring our offering, could not bring our surrender. And so you've got like a random stone hanging out over here while the rest of us are like, no, come Holy Spirit, do what what Jesus loves to do, bring breakthrough, healing, deliverance, salvation, forgiveness, restoration. But I love Paul's vision that his vision is that when the church gathers, she becomes a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And so this dwelling place people called us 
has a global mission to declare what God has done through Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at what the Son of God has done by dying and rising and triumphing over sin and hell and death and the grave. Look at him right now, seated at the right hand, the majesty in heaven. He's interceding for us. And look at the signs of our time and that he is soon returning. How many believe he's coming for us? And the good news, this good news has to go to the end of the earth. Let's read this together. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So from the garden to the tabernacle, to David's tent, to the temple, to Jesus, the word made flesh, to Pentecost, the people of God who became the corporate temple and each individual believer became the house of God. Then he says, you, now you, my dwelling place people, have a global-sized mission. And when you do that, when you partner with me and preach the gospel to the end, then Jesus Christ will come again. He appeared once and for all at the end of the age, Hebrews 9, 26, to do away with sin by the sacrifice for himself. Just as he, people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Read this part with me. But he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting for him. So how does the story end? I left off one part of the biblical narrative. Jesus will come to bring justice and judgment, and then this will be true. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, let's read this, is so good together. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. All in favor say amen. That's the biblical story. God wants to dwell with us. Why are you talking about it so much, Chad? Because if we miss this one point, we miss everything. Again, Christianity is not a theory. It's not a, a, a set of random doctrines. And, you know, it, it includes doctrines. It includes theology. At its core, it's that God has promised to dwell among people, real people, broken people like you and me. That God's real, tangible, weighty, actual presence is meant to be the dwelling place. We're meant to become his dwelling place. And the dwelling of God will be with humanity. Oh, that's a good story. Almost cool enough that it's worth selling everything to be a part of, giving up everything to respond. And so last week, we, like I said, we, that was really good, Chad. You did good on the intro. Thank you. It wasn't 30 minutes, it was eight. But uh, So we, we, we looked at these four things that they're all related. It's not like, let's do one, and then we'll get to the second, and then the third. We're doing all of them at once, but there's a prioritization in what I'm about to say. So our first priority as followers of Jesus, that, and then specifically those who call Radiant their home, we want to become a dwelling place for God's presence. If you agree, can you say Amen. That applies to individuals. So I want to be a dwelling at work, at home, and the grocery store. I want to view my life as a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. 
the thing that we say we want or confess often is not the thing we actually live out of in real time. Can I get an amen? So we need practice. We need formation. We need transformation. That's why we do things like Bible reading plans, like five, and we'll build more the more you get interested in it. Altar times, because I love Richard Foster. Let's just take prayer for an example. Those who say, oh, well, I pray all the time. He says this, you won't pray all the time everywhere until you pray some of the time somewhere. And so that's just how human, that's how we work. Like currently, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to go to the gym because I want to be able to beat up the dude who tries to date my daughter when she's 25. That's the honest statement. My daughter's gorgeous, and she's 10. So I'm trying to, like, be fit at 48. Nine years. Yeah, that'll be about right when she can date. 19, 20, 25, whatever. A godly man, spirit-filled, loves the gospel, missional lifestyle. Um. But you know what I wish? You know what I realized about going to the gym? All your theories bow their ugly knee to that stupid free weight that you can't hardly lift after two reps. And this is, this, so listen, God, like 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, training has some value, physical training for this life, but training in godliness has value for this life and the age to come. And I love Paul, he uses athletic metaphor because that's how all of us are formed. So when I say we want to become a dwelling place, everyone worth a grain of salt in here was like, of course, I want that. Because you do, you're a believer. I think everyone's born again in this room. I, I know all your story. You love Jesus. But actually becoming his dwelling functionally is going to require something of us. It's going to, our volition, our agency, the, the, the place we put our affection, our attention, the things that we do, that we ingest, the things that we don't do. And so becoming a dwelling, that's why we call it developing an altar lifestyle where the word, worship, and prayer become foundational. They're, they're weaved into the fabric of our very life. That's what we do. We build, we build a place for him to dwell in our homes. We set our hearts to seek his face. We open our word. We open our journals, etc. And because none of us are that good at doing that, can I get an Amen. On our own, that flows right next into our next core value, which is to be a discipling community. What is discipleship? It's that we're in school, King Jesus. Jesus is our teacher. The Holy Spirit's our living, indwelling tutor who teaches us everything Jesus said, and he empowers what Jesus did. But we need to disciple each other that we would all grow up and get better at the thing we want to get better at, which is to become a dwelling for his presence, to love him with all that we are, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's not rocket science, but again, many of us are stalled out or, or stunted in our growth because we're, just, we're confessing this, but he wants it to now filter into the way we allocate time, treasure, talent, our energy, our effort, our attention, our affection. Amen. Paul said it like this, God's grace, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 8 through 10, his grace to me was not without effect. When I received God's grace, it didn't just like, boom, neutralize me, and now I just sit here in my little cloud until I go to heaven someday. No, his grace began to work inside of me, and it gave me new desires, new cravings. It empowered me to pursue the things that actually lead to life. So we, we want to be a dwelling place. We want to be a discipling community. There's 49 one another passages. Honor one another, serve one another, love one another. Blah, 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 blah. One anothering one another is God's grow up strategy. You grow when you want another one another. Amen. Does that, that verbiage make sense? That's, that's, why, like, that's why we have 
altars and community groups. And men's Bible study. That's been amazing. 6 a.m. Tuesdays, I forgot to shout out. It's fire. It's like my favorite meeting all week. I love all the other meetings for the record. But no, seriously. Dudes, get up. Set your alarm. 6 a.m. It's amazing. Out of here in an hour. But we're just, we're discipling each other. We're one another in one another. All right. That was too long. A lot of slides, Lord. So in, I love, I use my spiritual imagination, my mind's eye that's been formed by the scriptures. So as I think about his presence coming, I think, man, I want it to change every part of my life. And I need help with that. So I need discipling and I need to disciple others because I'm a little farther than some of you, but some of you are farther than some of me. So we need the one anothering. And in that environment, imagine the spirit begins to highlight and uncover the gold hidden in every single believer in this room. His presence comes, that's who you are. Oh, that's who I am because of you and in you? Yeah. Oh, I want to be more like you, discipleship. And then he starts releasing insight into how you fit in his body and how you fit in his kingdom plan in the world. So our language is, in that environment of his presence and discipleship, we should expect to be discovering and developing the gifts and graces that God has dispersed, Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 12, over every single person in his family. Did you know you have gifts and grace? You have, you have gifts and grace. Read 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 9 through 21. There's these amazing passages where he unpacks the various gifts, and these aren't even exhaustive, that he's given people. How many want to know what God's call and gifts and grace are for your life? The, the, here's why we need to do that in here, because those gifts and graces aren't to lift you up, they're to lift him up and to build others up. But here's how the kingdom works. When you're using the gift and grace God's given you, it actually imparts so much joy and life in your own spirit because you're like, yes, I've connected to my identity in him, my purpose in him, and now I'm giving myself away in sacrificial service to others. In the kingdom of God, again, the devil's like, just be you, live for you, and if if anyone tries to stop you, life diminishes. But in the kingdom, we know that's not true. The most joyful among us are those who live wholehearted for God and for others. You ever met that believer? Like, what makes you tick? Oh, they've, they've locked into that purpose. And so we want, I, I, I was this tempted to emailing uh, and, and doing a, like a gifts class or just like a one-off little seminar. We're going to do it soon in the next month and a half. You could, I'll, I'll follow up with that. Where we can, we can have a time of discovery and discerning. Um, and so we want to be aligned with God's purpose. We want to know what our assignment is and then activate it in the grace of God. And then lastly... Again, it's not like, let's do dwelling place for a little bit, and let's do discipleship, and let's do discovery and develop. And then, no, they're always working, but ultimately we are deployed for mission. Yeah, that's gnarly language. Well, Paul's like, join with me as a good soldier in Christ and suffer for the gospel. So it's like very biblical language. We are in a battle. Paul talks about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And it's not a battle we fight with carnal weapons, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, but there's spiritual weapons. We're fighting a defeated foe. Can I get an amen? It's like the war has been won through the gospel, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We're in cleanup operation mode, but the enemy still has power because people are empowering him because people still sin and choose to live for themselves instead of for Jesus. And so there's this, there's this battle, but we are deployed. I love thinking every time believers gather, we become a dwelling place. We're becoming a little more like Jesus, discipleship. We've been reminded of the gifts and graces that he's given us. 
for others' good and for God's glory, and then always encouraging each other. By the way, it's not ever about just what happens in this room. It's about what happens out there in real time and real places with real people, that you're ready. You're ready for the mission of God. You're ready to give an account for why they ask you why you have hope. You're ready to, to pray, to bless, to have eyes of compassion. But we're being deployed for mission in the power of the Holy Spirit and our family, our friends, our workplace and world. Does that make sense? Say it with me. Dwelling place, discipling community, place of discovery and development, and then deployment for mission in the power of the Spirit. So we're always doing these. These are always happening. But we're zeroing in because we, didn't, we just got started last week on the dwelling place thing. I remember I was at a meeting, um, goodness sake, would have been 10, 12 years ago. It was, I don't remember anything 11 years ago. I've had four kids. My wife's had four kids. I've done very little. I've cheered her on from the side. Uh, you got this, babe. Uh, so timeline's a little off, that's what I'm trying to say. But I remember we were in a gathering um, uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My dad just sent out a big invite, my dad, Dan, to believers and church planters, pastors from all over the world and just said, we're going to set aside three days to pray and fast and just seek God. There was no like traditional preaching. It was just 200, I think, 250 people from several nations all over America came to Tulsa, Oklahoma of all places, I guess, because it was Midwest, Tulsa, Oklahoma, no offense, but um, Central Coast next time, dad. But um, I know it's very hard and expensive to get here, but come on, somebody. And uh, why am I so adamant that when I say dwelling place, I, I don't think you get what I'm I think we have not seen anything yet. I've been, since I was 16, for 23 years, almost 24 years, I've been some way, shape, or form aiming at Jesus, walking after him. And there are few moments in my life where the presence of God was so near that you could barely whisper his name. And, and this gathering of all these believers, just the environment, there was no agenda, just only Jesus come and dwell in our midst. I remember this precious little lady who was um, uh, a Korean believer who, who I believe remembered, you know, the difficulties of being a Christian in Korea. Her name's Nancy Jesudis, and she's this little skinny 75, 80-year-old. Now she's in, I think, 90 she stood up, and remember, this room is filled with capable people, talented, anointed ministers who are used to using our gifts and people being impressed that we're, you know, clever or powerful. But this little woman stood up, and when she prayed, 220 of us just fell on our faces. The, the amount of weight, the, the dwelling presence of God, and what I'm saying is, guys, he wants to increase his presence in our midst, it's not because I'm chasing what I experienced in Tulsa or all the other times in my life, but I just know that the presence of God is going to become the most precious thing to the people of God when the, when the, times, are, that, when the times that are coming. You're not going to reach for your favorite celebrity dude or the, like the people of God and the presence of God is going to be the primary thing that's going to sustain us for the shaking, for the tribulation, for the difficulties that are and are coming. So, hello, I want to train now. Does that make sense? Move, Chad, change the message. I can't because we're not there yet. And we're not there forever. Like, I'm not there. But, I, but hey, 
Yesterday, I felt such a mocking spirit. It was so funny as I was prayer walking, just thinking about us and praying for our church. It was like just that little nagging voice like, dude, it doesn't matter. Everyone's got lives and they're busy and they got sports and family and Chad quit. It doesn't matter to call people to pursue dwell. Eh. It was just so funny. Whose voice was that? That was not God's voice. I remember just as I'm walking, you know, usually when I walk, I quote scripture, I pray, I intercede, I just think about you, pray for families. And I thought, man, I think I'm on the right path. If there was such opposition, it was a mocking spirit. Don't do it. Don't call them to it. No one cares. Move on, move, change the topic. And I want you to know, wow, we're just getting started. God wants us to, he wants to raise our faith he wants to raise our faith and expectation of when we gather in his name, he wants to come in a greater way, in a greater way. And so this passage has got me all week. I, this is going to have to be at least at least a two-parter, probably a three-parter. But I want to read this, and I want to make a few comments. So if dwelling place, discipling community, where we're discovering, developing gifts and grace and calling, we're being deployed for mission, but we're, what, what's our response supposed to be in all of that? Once and then ongoing. And this passage is one of the most famous in the whole Bible, and there's so much goody here. In fact, Romans 12 is going to become kind of a, a little roadmap because Romans 12 through 15 really has all four of these in sequential order. It's, it's almost like God knew, and uh, he just let us know. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then read it with me. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Any person, any believer I meet with or whatever, everyone wants to know, what's God's will? Anyone ever wondered that? This week, anyone, anyone wondered that? What's God's will? What's his will for my marriage, my family, my kids, their school, our future? What's your will? What's your will? Well, apparently, we don't have to guess what his will is. God has given us a pathway to walk to discerning, discovering, and then testing and approving, all wrapped up into one. That is the good, pleasing, perfect will. Let's move forward in that. Amen. That's actually possible in a dwelling place environment. <sighs> oh, we're going to get there. I'm not going to preach it because it's on the slides. Why I love this passage, what weird language. A living sacrifice? What is that? I love it. When I was thinking about it, this one came on the prayer walk. Obviously, I studied it. I have all these commentaries because I've been, I have all this software, and so I know what way smarter people than me think about this passage. But I'm walking. I'm like, God, give me insight into this living sacrifice thing. Because I want everyday normal people to get it. And what I love about it, I felt the Lord just resound inside my spirit. He's like, tell them I don't just want their spiritual life, I want their whole life. God doesn't want you to offer the little tiny compartment. And if you're not a person of the word, you're not praying, and don't feel ashamed. I'm just saying, if Sunday's your only expression, then God definitely doesn't just want your spiritual life. Because what's happening with the other 166 hours of your week? 
you're living for yourself or for sin or, or the enemies in there. Like, so I love, he's like, offer your bodies as living sacrifice because everywhere you go this week, your body is going with you. You get the language? Maybe that's not insightful to you. It was to me. I was like, oh, that's why. Because God's never just interested in like a little sliver of your life. He wants all of it because he wants, okay, we're going to get there. He wants your work, your family, your kids, your money, your time, talent, recreational life, physical, emotional, mental, all of it offered up. It's all for you, God. And here's why. Why does he want my body as a living sacrifice? Because all of life was marred by sin and was patterned after the way of the world. Thus, all of life now needs to be transformed by God's word and now patterned after the way of Jesus by the spirit. If it was all marred, then it all needs to be redeemed, transformed. Amen. So offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And as we worship rightly, we'll begin to see the world rightly. That's why worship is such an important issue right now, a dwelling place. Did you know that there's people out there that have opinions about the world? That's a joke. You have access to all of their theories and thoughts with this little device. What's going to fix it? What's its problem? Who's the new knight in shining armor? Who, you know, there's a lot of theories and ideas that are going out there about what, what's wrong with the world or who's going to fix it. How, how's it going to get in the world, world? And I'm telling you, the church has an edge that we can, when we worship and lock in with ultimate truth and reality, he will give us discernment about what is his will for the times we're living in. Can someone say amen to that? We don't have to guess. That doesn't mean it's easy or that it's not going to be costly. I love this. One commentator said, all Christians are, they're made a new priesthood. I, I preached that last week in 1 Peter 2. We are forming together a temple in which God now reveals himself in a special way. Paul loved this language. He extends the sphere of their priestly vocation into every dimension of life. So again, I don't want you just to offer me a little tiny sliver. I want your body as a living sacrifice that you would yield up the entirety of your life for me, for my purposes and my glory. And when that happens, we're brought into alignment and agreement with the wisest man in the cosmos, Jesus Christ. And we're being renewed in our mind and our mindset as we keep on worshiping, keep on offering, keep on worshiping, and keep on offering. And as we worship him, we'll be transformed into his image. And here's what I want to say. These next two slides are important, and then I'll probably land the plane. Because, yeah. I ain't rushing this message because it's gonna, I don't care how many parts it takes. The gathered saints equals a culture of discernment, revelation, understanding, and insight so that we'll be able to brave the complexities of the hour in which we live, moving forward with clarity, conviction, and courage in the will and purpose of God. This is all me. I just wrote this. Just let me read it. We put so much pressure on ourselves to figure it all out on our own. So much pressure. The Bible knows little to nothing of rugged individualism. Again, it, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I've studied it over the years now as I've been a preacher. Almost all of the yous in the Bible, if you're Western and you're like me, English, American, I read him saying you, I think he's saying just me. But in the Greek, it's y'all. It's you all. It's so almost the whole Bible is written to you all. Are you tracking with me? So the Bible knows very little of, hey, good luck, you individual believer, isolated on a little island, not connected to a community, not with others who are like a little farther than you or a little beside you or a little behind you, not this community that's a collective dwelling. Hey, you 
only you, all by yourself, figure out God's will and purpose for your life. It's really hard right now, but good luck with that. The Bible knows nothing of that, but who's lived that story? Every hand. Single hand is raised. We put so much pressure. The Bible knows almost nothing of rugged individualism. Each member of the body of Christ trying to figure it out on their own. I'm not saying you don't have to live your faith in a personal way, but I want to just demolish that individualized Christianity. It's, 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 first of all, it's not healthy. Can I get an amen? And it's certainly not God's ideal. We need each other. I've been saying that for years, but we actually do. Not just so that I can look cool because we have people and there's groups. Like We actually need each other for the times we're in to discover and discern God's perfect will. And God wants to, all of us have someone to discern with for that process. Okay, we're meant to actually discover and discern. I love this language. It's fancy. It, it goes deep. To everyone say test. So what do you think of when you think I'm testing? Is this God's will? Is this where we're supposed to head? What, what do you think is involved in the testing? Dialogue? Conversation? Where is that in the word? Ah, I can't find it. Wait, it's the testing. What if we just started having prayer meetings where it's like, God, what, what, it, what are you sensing from the Lord? What, what does his word say? What are the promises you're carrying into this place? What, and what are the things he's been putting? I asked Cal this morning when we were here setting up early. Man, what's God speaking to you, bro? How many know if God speaks something to Cal, that might just be to me because I'm in the same body, the same family that he's in, the church. And so I love this language. You, you again, in, in the plural, you'll be able to test. And then I love this, and approve. We agree. This is where we're headed. This is what God's speaking and saying. How many know we can do that together? That's why we need each other. You say, Chad, get this, get a little more practical. You're thinking about retirement. You're thinking about a new job. You're thinking about, dude, I'm not saying you don't, God doesn't give you the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, or you don't know God's thoughts, Romans 8, 6 through 10. I know all these passages, but bring a believer into it. Share your heart. Let them share their heart. And together, you'll be better at discerning and discovering, testing and approving the way forward. Amen. It's in this environment of everyone offering the entirety of their, Paul calls it a living sacrifice. What do I have to offer the God who owns everything? Anyone think that? My offering wouldn't matter to him. Besides me, I don't have much, Lord. Nothing's really changed. I have a lot of mundaneness in my life. Anybody? Open my, my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You don't delight in a sacrifice or I would have brought it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My, say it with me, my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. What do I offer God every time we gather in whatever size, whatever environment? You just offer him yourself. That's why I love the language of living sacrifice. Almost, almost unspiritual, but it's, but it's spiritual because it includes, it includes everything. Just offer just offer. You're good, you're bad, and you're ugly. Whatever proportion those are. Lord, I don't have much, but Jesus bought me with his everything, so here it is again. And you know what? Every little offering moves his heart. Every little offering, every little gift, every little yielded yes, 
your current situation, circumstance, and reality. He just wants you. And all the mess, the sin, the brokenness, confusion, joys, triumphs, as well as difficulties and pain. And I'm gonna end with this. Thank you, Lord, that I got to share this. This got me so heavy in our Bible reading plan this week. So we're gonna land the plane there. We're gonna get way deeper next, or continue the conversation about dwelling place and that living sacrifice lifestyle. But I love this language because so many believers think, I don't have much to offer God. And this week, if you are still tracking with the Bible reading plan, we read through Matthew 21. And there's this really cool, enigmatic, kind of obscure passage if you don't uh, know a little bit of background. But Jesus says in Matthew 21, 43 and 44, that if you fall on the stone, you'll be broken. But if the stone falls on you, you'll be crushed. <laughs> and let me just help you a little. Being broken is better than being crushed. Okay, just so we're all clear. Okay. Um, and what Jesus is talking about is he's literally the prophesied stone that the Jewish people were rejecting, but the stone they were rejecting was a little bit important because that stone was the cornerstone that the whole new temple of the Holy Spirit, the church, was going to be built on. So if you stumble over the stone, you sort of miss the whole point, right? That's the cornerstone. Everything in the building took the cue from that corner. And that's what Jesus prophetically is for the church. He's the cornerstone. We take our, our shape, our size, our structure. It's built on Jesus. And so he's telling them, if you fall on that stone, I view that as like a, a, a repentant sinner running. I'm broken, but ugh. you'll be broken, but in a way you don't expect. You'll be broken that he loves you still. You'll be broken that, oh my gosh, he would receive me, the likes of me. But if you, you resist his ministry and message, like many of the Jews and Jesus in the first century context, that stone will eventually crush you and then sayonara. It's too late. So then, okay, so I was thinking about falling on the stone. Again, again we're talking about what do I have to offer God? And I wanna just raise your hope that you have a lot to offer God this morning. I was thinking, God, where did I know that phrase from a story of, of falling on the stone or falling on God. And I remembered the story of the prodigal son. And here's this son. And by the way, Jesus is referring, when those who fall on the stone, they're broken. He just got done telling them in the same chapter, Matthew 21, that the prostitutes, tax collectors, and sinners, they're all entering the kingdom way ahead of all of those who were upright and religious and had all of their ducks in a row because they were coming in their brokenness and sin and offering the little that they had and they were finding themselves swept up into God's forgiveness and salvation. And so I was thinking of the prodigal son. You know the story in Luke 15. He squanders all the wealth and wild and reckless living and he, he's in the pig pen as a Jewish boy. It's like the lowest of the low places he could ever be at. And then he comes to his senses and he says, here I am living with pigs and all of my father's servants are living a better existence than I'm currently living. And here's what it says. He comes to his senses. He gets his little speech together. Father, against you and you only have I sinned. <clears throat> and um, I'm no longer to be worthy to call your son. Just, call, just receive me back as a slave. Don't receive me as a son. And so he, he goes, and you know the story in Luke 15. The father sees the prodigal boy walk home. And what does the scripture say? Help me. The father runs to his sinful loser son. That's what everyone in his community thought. And in 
the original language and in the New King James Version, it says that the father is the one who falls on his son. Kill me. That was, it was like 5.30 in the morning. I'm like, oh, God, fall on us. Because I was thinking about just like the offering we have to give God. That sinful son had nothing to offer his son. He had nothing. And none of us has anything to offer. Like in the sense of God's like, I needed that. Like in the sense of I was lacking and finally your little offering helped me. No, that's not how the kingdom, that's not how the gospel works. He doesn't need anything, but he wants all of you. And that's what moves his heart. And here's the boy, his little offering. He's falling on the stone. He's, he's repenting. He came to his senses, but he was like, he's not going to restore me. He, just I'll become a slave in your house. And I love the language. He says the father falls on his neck, which is to say he hugs him. You know those good hugs from your kids or grandkids when it's like, everyone, you know, that's how it sounds too. And I thought, oh my gosh, in that moment, that was the prodigal falling on the stone, offering, all he had to offer was his sin. I sinned against you. I'm no longer, and I love the father. He interrupts his like, woe is me speech. I'm no longer worried because your son just leave me a slave. He goes, quick, bring the fattened calf. Like the father interrupts his woe is me narrative and he just restores him. And I thought, even if that's all you have to offer the Lord this morning, that's the offering he wants. And as I was praying, just personally, I was moved. It was two or three days ago, whenever we read Matthew 21. But I just saw the Lord as I was thinking about, what do we have to offer you? Here's the prodigal. He has nothing. He thinks he's falling on him, but the Father's falling on his offering with lavish love, with mercy and forgiveness. How many need a little more of that in their life? How many want the Father to fall on you this morning with love? I mean, I've had a pretty good week. But when I thought of the Father falling on me with love, it, I was like, oh, I need that. Here's my little offering. I mean, I don't have much, but... And the Lord's like, that's all I want. And when we do that, when we just, we don't hide behind some new iteration of fig leaf or some false confidence. We just bring what we have before the Lord. It's in that space we'll be able to discern, test, and approve what's his will for today. He'll renew our mind as we open up our whole life to him falling on us with love and acceptance. So just, just by way of just a show of hands, you would just say today, I want to offer all that I am today. And I want, I just, if, that, I, I, if that language, that word picture was helpful, and I want the Father to receive my heart and my offering afresh. Can you just lift your hands with me this morning? I just, I believe he actually wants to do that this morning. Like, he wants to fall on us with his love. Yeah, just maybe just put your hand on your heart. Lord, I, I thank you for the offering that you want that Paul wrote about and to become a dwelling place. It's not a, it's not a theoretical offering. It's not our highlight reel. It's just the reality of our life right now yielded up to you. And just right now, if there's an area in your life that you're like, Lord, I, I'm, I don't even, Paul said a, a living, my whole body, but there's an area in your life that you're holding back. Can you just say, Holy Spirit, can you empower me to give an all of life offering this morning? 
You need to say, Holy Spirit, I want to trust you with that. Fill in the blank with whatever that is. You want that to be an opportunity for worship today and this week. I just wait just a few seconds. I believe he's talking to some of y'all. And then, Jesus, I just want to pray how much you touched me this week that you would fall on us. Our little tiny offering to a God of all creation, that you would consume that offering with the Father's love, that you would come and that you would rewire our thinking, our thought process. And we're going to talk next week about our worldview, that all of that's transformed on the other side of our all-out offering. And that's why worship is so important. And so, Lord, I thank you that we would be a church that worships you with the offering up of the entirety of our life for Jesus, who gave himself for us. Lord, I want to pray as our hands are on our hearts that you would just encourage our spiritual family today. I pray that you would build us up in the word, build us up in the holy faith. And I pray those four Ds, that this week we would become a dwelling place. We would pursue discipleship with other believers that we would discover and develop a little more of the grace and the gifts that you've given us to steward for your glory and the good of those around us. And that you would deploy us now out into a new work week, into a new school week for mission, that we would join Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we all said amen.